0: Jesus is glorious and magnificent from any and every angle. And on this 18th, All About Him, weekend and message at Bethel Church, you may think that perhaps we are on the verge of running out of material. Actually, we have not even begun to explore all the ways that He is glorious. In fact, the old hymn says it this way, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we'd first begun. Why is that true? Is it because it's a really long song? No. It is because... For all of eternity, we are going to continually be learning more and more about Christ. We're going to be learning more and more about His nature, His character. There's dimensions to what He's done to save us we don't even begin to understand. And for all of eternity, we will be discovering more and more glory in Him. And we will sing His praise Indeed, after 18 of these, uh, we have not yet begun. Jesus is that glorious. And today I want to, one more time, turn him like a jewel in front of you. And for all of us to just see him in a few facets... And for even those few facets to make us marvel and wonder at who he is. Down through the ages, uh, scientists, philosophers, smart people have debated and have tried to come up with one mathematical formula, one philosophical system that would summarize everything that is all reality into one truth. Uh, Some people call it the theory of everything. Maybe you've heard that before. In our day, uh, perhaps nobody is better known for that than uh, the physicist Stephen Hawking, who has written on this subject and who has tried desperately with his brilliance to come up with A Theory of Everything. In fact, uh, in I think two or three months, there's a major motion picture coming out about him and his life. And the title of the movie is The Theory of Everything. One reality, one truth that is so all-encompassing that it pulls into its solution all that is, all reality, everything that we Know and experience I think it's not just philosophers and physicists who are looking for this, but it's uh, average day people as well Now we don't say i'm out looking for the theory of everything Because people would look at us sideways and, and think that there's something wrong with us, but it's veiled in other comments like this I'm, i'm just looking for answers Or what's life all about? Or I have to go and I have to find myself All of those are code for I am looking for something in my experience of life That is worth living for I'm looking for something that is beyond me That is transcendent to me Because this world and my life and all of that I know there has to be more than this I am looking for my theory of everything All of us need a point of reference, all of us need a glue, all of us need a center, all of us need something that makes sense out of the chaos of our lives and the world that we live in, the pain, the suffering, even the joys and the celebrations. Something that, we a grid through which we can see that and say, yeah, I get it, my life makes sense. In fact, in some ways, I think you could say that religion is man's attempt to do that When uh, when science fails and when philosophy fails, uh, where do people turn? Oftentimes they turn to religion and uh, We try to make sense of things By having a religious belief in something all over the world man mankind does this And of course we feel the need to do this because there is so much that we don't understand like if you think even of the, this week, take this week in the news. What have we seen this week? What has been front page? Beheadings, violence, racial tensions, riots. If you just picked one week and said, I need a theory that brings all of that into one answer. Wouldn't that be a great thing? The whole world's clamoring for it. We wonder, is there anything to make sense of all of this. And then just to pull back from this week's news and just to actually gaze at the stars and to look up and to say see galaxies and stars and to think, is there anything that makes sense of all of that? And to look at the mountains and to look at the oceans and the rivers and to say, is there anything that makes sense of all of that? And then to look into our own lives and our families, our loves, our hates, our pains, our cancers, our all of that, and say, is there anything that makes sense of all of that? I mean, is it, are, are we are we foolish because we're looking for something that answers everything? Is there anything that answers everything? Is there anyone that unifies everything into one thing? And to answer this, we look to Holy Scripture in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We call it Colossians chapter 1. And here in verse 15 and following, God tells us the theory of everything. Listen to what he says He, this is now speaking of Jesus He is the image of the invisible God The firstborn of all creation For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth Visible and invisible Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him And he is before all things And in him all things hold together And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. What I have just read might be the most Christ-centered passage in the entire Bible. It is a section where God, through the Holy Spirit, inspiring the Apostle Paul, turns the jewel of Jesus before us so that we can see him through facets of who he is and what he did. And every one of them ought to, if we have the ears to hear and the eyes of faith, ought to make us wonder at the glory of this person. In fact, it is so wonderful a passage that scholars think that it probably was a first century creed or a poem or maybe even a song. They might have sang this, and you can almost hear a kind of lyrical rhythm and put a little music to that. That would work, wouldn't it? That would work. Now, there's too much here for one sermon. Uh, We're going to focus in on verse 17. That is our text today. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why don't we read that? Together if we could and he is before all things and in him all things hold together Now it is the second clause of that sentence that is our focus, but it is a part of a sentence So why don't we begin at the beginning of the sentence at least to see what this sentence is saying and notice that it begins by saying that he is before all things and this comes after a catalog in the preceding verses of All of the physical and spiritual dimensions, the created world which he has created, the spiritual world, and every throne, every authority, every spiritual being, angelic or demon or otherwise. He catalogs all of these things, and he says all of that was created by Christ. And oh, by the way, in verse 17, he is before all those things. Now this is a chronological before and it is important to understand this otherwise christianity collapses into a kind of pantheism where there's just all everything is is one thing now that's a unity but it's not biblical because the bible says that there is the entire created world physical and spiritual jesus is not in that he transcends that God transcends creation, and He is before all of that, chronologically. This is the eternality of the Son. This is John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word being another title of Jesus. That in the beginning, if we could go back before all that is not God was there, there would simply be God. And there Jesus is part of that triune God. He is before all things. He is separate from creation. He precedes it. And the ancients, and really even today, were fascinated with this question. Where did everything come from? All the debate, uh, science and religion and philosophy and otherwise, all of that debate about where everything came from. I recently had the privilege of stepping on the grave of Charles Darwin at Westminster Abbey in London. And I have to tell you, I had a certain delight as I did it. Honestly, I went over and I kind of did this number What do you think about origin of species now darwin? Darwin would not agree with these passages And would look for a natural Origin of everything that is and yet the bible's testimony from the beginning in genesis is That all that is not god is here because of god Because God created it. And we find in this passage that Jesus is the the agent, the agency of power, the creative genius behind all that is. Perhaps God is the architect and Jesus is the builder of all of this. He is before all things. He is the creator of all things. Now it is the last phrase that is the rest of this whole message. What does it mean that in him All things hold together. What does that say to us? Let's talk about it. In the Greek, it's simply four words. Literally, all in him holds together. The verb here is the key. That word for holding together. It is in a tense that means something that happened in the past that has ongoing results. Okay, so it's saying, it's not saying that He held all things together, but now he's not a part of it. It's also not saying that someday he will hold all things together. It is a tense that says that in the beginning he held all things together, and that holding all together is an ongoing reality. He is sustaining everything by his power The word literally means to band together, to take separate entities and to bring them into one. For example, the earth holds the moon, right? And the sun holds the earth. And the Milky Way holds our solar system. Each of those holding a separate entity into a kind of unity, a gravitational pull that makes it one. We are in one solar system. We are in one galaxy jesus like that is the gravitational power he is the the power behind the power that is unifying and binding together all that is it's been true since the moment he created and it will always be true he is the ongoing sustainer and center of all that is and please note that it says all there it's the same word that we use and it's all about him And that means that he is binding everything together. That means everything. There is nothing that is not included in all. Everything that is, every reality that is, you and me and the atoms that form your body right now are being held together by a power that Jesus provides. I read this week about somebody that was just, they were marveling at the fact that every atom in this world has a power. That if you split it, we saw at Nagasaki and Hiroshima, what happens when you take one atom and you open up the power in that one atom and yet there are just how many atoms in this world? What is the power behind that power? It is the divine power of God. He is sustaining and binding all things together by the power and the might of His Word and glory. And that includes everything. You know, in our society today, they don't mind what we say in here, do they? They don't mind seeing cars parked around church buildings, and they don't really care what we have to say in here so much. Um, You know, we can say whatever we want here, right? But... The moment what we say here is introduced into the marketplace or is introduced into the public square or introduced into the university or introduced into the media, what happens when Christianity and what we believe in here is set out there? There's a firestorm about it, right? They're like, hey, don't bring your religion into this discussion. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And yet this says all all there is jesus and the reality of his glory in every atom and every galaxy it is all about him it is all bound together by him so that students going back to school when you go to biology class you are studying what god has made that class is about Jesus, if you think about it properly. And when you go to math class and you got formulas and all these things that you're studying and you're like, oh, geometry and this, you know, Pythagorean theorem, blah, 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 right? It can be disinteresting unless you realize that, that what is behind the amazing mathematical precision of the universe, so they calculate black holes by, on a piece of paper, How do they do that? Why? Because God is absolutely symmetrical and we see that in creation and math just shouts it out. Geology is not about rocks. It's about the way that God made this amazing world. And astronomy is not about blinking stars. It's about the expanse of this universe that God stands transcendent over. And when you go to school, students, if you look at it like a Christian, that what you are gaining in knowledge is not random facts that don't matter. Why? Because all of it is about what God has done. It's all about Jesus. Okay? It's all about Jesus. So just remember, Pastor Steve said, two plus two equals Jesus. But why don't schools and networks and governments, why don't they want what we're talking about here introduced into discussion and debate? It is because men love darkness rather than light. To speak of what we're talking about here in the public square is to introduce into that square light. The light of revelation, the light of Christ. And men don't want that. They want to answer all their questions without a reference point of Jesus. Which is why Stephen Hawking is not going to find his theory of everything without Christ. It's like when, 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 when you pull up a rock, right? When you pull up a big rock, what happens when the light all of a sudden is underneath there? There's all those little maggots and worms and all that. What do they do? They go, ah, I love it, the light. No, they scurry away and they try to hide. And that is the world that we live in. It's the way the world has been from the beginning. Adam and Eve sinned, and what did they do? They hid themselves, And we hide as well, I can't point the finger to every, we hide as well, the blinding light of the glory of Jesus, apart from the cross, is a cowering thing for us. Sin does not unite. Sin fragments. Sin shatters. Sin divides. And that is true for nations, and that is true for for you and me inside our hearts sin creates all kinds of fragments within us and we have to compartmentalize and we have to hide and we can't talk about this we can't be vulnerable we can't be open why because that's what sin does But Christ is a uniter. He is a bringing things together. He is somebody that will take the fragments of a society and the fragments of a person's life and will make them whole again. Will make them one. Will allow them to live now under one thing that is the all-defining reality for everything in my life. And by the way, it is Him. And so you have a statement like this, in him all things hold together, and that means that Jesus unites all realities. He unites all categories. He unites all dimensions, all people, all philosophies, all ideologies, all kingdoms, all thrones, all rulers, all presidents, all kings, all time, All the living, all the dead, heaven and hell and everything else. He holds all of that together by the blazing glory of His infinite might. He is the reference point of everything. He is the middle sea of all reality. He is the plumb line of all that is beautiful and good, holy and right. And everything that is is what it is in relation to him. Let me say that again. Everything that is, is what it is in relation to him. His word is the final word of all of us. And that is not to say, to mean that, that he is a uniter of everything and a kind of pluralistic, we're all good because we're one in Jesus. No. His judgment is the final judgment, and there is simply heaven and hell, and the sheep go one direction and the goat, goat, goats go another Everything that I'm saying here can be wonderfully comforting to the Christian who is under his mercy. But it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He defines everything. His beauty defines what is ugly. His truthfulness defines what is false. His holiness defines what is sin. His wisdom defines what is folly. His love defines what is hate. His judgments are the final word on everything. So, when it says here that by him all things are held together, it means all things. It means everything. It means you and me right now in this milla moment of time. We are held together by the mercy, the strength, the power of Jesus. Have you given thanks to him for that recently? So, let's explore this together. In him, all things are held together. Like, what does that all include? And I'm going to give you a few categories that I think are marvelous. Let's begin with the cosmos. In him, all things hold together. The cosmos, the universe. And this, by the way, in context, is the main focus of this passage. It is the power of Jesus that is holding this entire universe together. There are other passages that say this. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the, pow- by the word of his power. Now this staggers the mind. To think that the ex- in the expanse of the universe, there is not one place, not one Adam that is not being held together by the power of Christ it is such a marvelous thought that many people scoff at it how can there be one person so huge so powerful so wise so an amazing engineer who can hold all of this together and yet the bible says Jesus is that magnificent He is that powerful that he can hold this whole thing together. Consider the expanse of the universe a moment. And whenever you talk like this, it just it boggles the mind, right? To think about how massive the universe is that we live in. As an example of this, two thousand three, Hubble Telescope. You probably heard of the Hubble Telescope. Did its longest ever deepest look into space and what the scientists did is they they said let's just pick one little fragment of the sky and let's just point the hubble telescope there and just leave the lens open so that every little light from as far away as the telescope can see will be brought in so for like 6 months they had it just on one little fragment and they left the 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 shutter open i don't know if it has a shutter but There's nobody up there in like the old-fashioned camera pulling it off and then putting it back on However, it does that they looked as deep as they could for six months And then the scientists got that slide And they counted the galaxies that they saw in that one little spot in the sky and they counted in that one little frame 10,000 galaxies And doing the math then for that as a portion of the entire observable sky, they calculated that we are able with the Hubble telescope to see, at this point, 200 billion galaxies. And our Milky Way is one of 200 billion galaxies. And to consider that the average galaxy contains 200 billion stars. It means that the observable universe contains somewhere around 40 to 50 billion trillion stars. And each of those stars, likely with planets and all the things that we see in our own solar system. And that's just what we can see. We can't see everything. We don't know how much more is beyond it. In fact, to put this in context, it might help a little bit in the observable sky, if every star that they could see was a dime, there would be enough dimes to cover the entire North American continent to the height of the Willis Tower in downtown Chicago. And every dime, a solar system with its own planets and all the rest, it just boggles the mind. And then to think, to think, That God Almighty, the creator of the trillions of stars and all the rest, incarnated into one galaxy in one solar system of that galaxy onto one planet in that solar system and died for the inhabitants of it. This is why the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why should we think that we are so important when you consider the expanse of the universe around us and then to think that God chooses to love very little people like you and me creates wonder and marvel and worship in our hearts. By him, all things are held together. And it's not just the natural world that is held together, Jesus is the uniting reality of special revelation of the Word of God, the Bible that I have in my hand here, and many of you do as well. What is this actually about here? You say, well, it's wonderful. It helps me with my parenting, and it gives me great tips for how to be a good employee, and it helps me, you know, be happy, la, la, la. Great, I'm happy. That's not what it's about. Now, there's wonderful truth about many things in this book. But that is not primarily what it is about. And Jesus said the same thing, John 5, 39. He says to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. They thought the scriptures and knowing them was the key. And he says, listen, they are a means to a greater end. And that greater end is me. And knowing me, I am the one that provides salvation, not the scriptures themselves. And one of the keys to understanding the Bible as you read it is to realize what its central theme is. There is a melody line to the Bible, no matter where you go. And that melody line, sometimes it's in the foreground, sometimes it's in the background. But the melody line of the Bible is christ and is jesus and the unveiling of the glory of christ and what god is doing to unveil that glory he said that it's all about me this is probably most clearly uh, shown in the gospel of luke on the day that jesus was resurrected from the dead there was all these reports, you know, Mary Magdalene came in and said, I've seen him. And Peter and John, they go, they look and they see the empty tomb and all the rest. Well, part of that story is that two of his disciples were on a road and they're walking along the road and they're having a conversation. And they're talking, of course, about all the events and the reports and what's going on. So no doubt this is a very animated conversation. Well, Jesus comes up to them and he hides his identity. And he says, Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they look at him with, uh, 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 like, like he's crazy because they say, we're talking about what everybody's talking about. We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a mighty prophet and we hope that he was the chosen one of Israel. And there's reports now that he has been seen alive and we don't know what to make of all of this. And listen to what Jesus says. He says this. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, if there is one sermon that I want to hear of all the sermons, Sermon on the Mount maybe would rival it, but this one... That's the one that I want to hear. When I get to heaven, roll the tape. Because what does Jesus do here? Literally, he exegetes himself out of the Old Testament scriptures. Which he says were all there to talk about him. And to point everybody to who he is and what he would do in redemption. Imagine with me that sermon. Hey, you remember when God told Satan in Genesis that there was coming somebody that would crush your head, that was me. That was me. You remember the rainbow, the promise that God would no longer do what he he did in the flood? That rainbow and that promise was foreshadowing me. Do you remember the ram that was in the bushes when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, and instead of Isaac being sacrificed, the ram was sacrificed? That ram was a typology of me. Do you remember Moses, the prophet, the great leader who led God's people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and to the promised land? His whole thing, his whole gig was about me. Do you remember, do you remember the day of atonement that was established? Do you remember that lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of all the people? Do you remember that? That lamb was about me. Do you remember before Joshua went into Jericho, it says that he went and he ran into the Lord of the hosts? That Lord of the hosts, by the way, that was me. Do you remember the judges that were sent by God to save the heroes of Israel who came in when God's people were away from him? And all of those, remember those? Those were all about me. Do you remember when God said to David that that he would have a son that would sit on an eternal throne? I am the son of David. Do you remember the Psalms where it says that his body will not see decay? That body is the body that is standing in front of you. And on and on and on he went as they walked and he pointed to them all the places in the Old Testament that spoke about him. So that when we open our Bibles, yes, there's wonderful things that help us with life and perspective and wisdom so many different things but we have to realize that this is primarily all of this is about jesus it is telling us what he is like it is telling us about god's plan of redemption it's telling us foreshadowing picturing whatever it is more explicitly in the new testament teaching us all about christ and his plan and all great commission and all the it's the whole thing's about jesus he is the hermeneutic of the bible it is not here as simply a guide to help you live better. It is not a guide for your best life now. It is a guide for your best life in eternity. It is a guide to help us understand Jesus. In fact, if you do this when you get home, take your Bible and, and like a conch shell, and, and turn it like that and listen carefully. Right? And you know what you're going to hear? It's about Jesus. That's what it's, it's kind of. It sounds sort of like waves, but it, it's more like it's. It's all about Jesus. Now, should I do that third service? Because I don't know if that communicated. (laughs) He is the theme that holds the whole of special revelation together. Cosmos. Scripture. How about salvation? There continues to be an insidious teaching out there subtle and otherwise, that says that our salvation has something to do with God seeing in us a kind of goodness, seeing in us a a special worth, seeing in us something that was worth saving. Tries to convince us that the cross is a statement about how wonderful we are. That even in eternity, eternal life, man, it's going to be all about you. And of course, this makes us feel good. And it will sell a lot of books. And a lot of people will send you money after your sermon on TV. If you tell people how wonderful and magnificent and central to the affections of God you are. And now make your donation and receive this prayer cloth. (laughs) That. This is a little bit like the rooster who thinks that the sun rises simply so that he can crow. The purpose of the sun is me. Look at it rise. The sun exists for roosters. And roosters love doctrines that say that to them. The problem with that is that it simply is not true, and it is not biblical. In fact, we see that right here in this passage. There is a why statement to all of this in verse 18. Why has Christ been incarnated? Why did God create the world? Why did He create spiritual and physical? Why did Christ go through all of us? Why of the church? Why All of it so that in everything he might be preeminent. Why has God done all these things and why did Jesus in obedience do all these things? Yes, it was so that we can be saved. Yes, it's because he did bear our sins in an atoning death on the cross. Yes, he was resurrected to conquer death. Yes, he is awaiting to come back again and to receive us unto himself. All of that is wonderfully true. But it is not the primary reason that God did all these things. God did this to unveil the glory of the Son. So that in everything, he might be preeminent. Or as I said in Ephesians 1, for the praise of his glorious grace. This church, your salvation, all of that is not about us. It is about him. And people get uneasy when I say that kind of thing. Because the the doctrine that it's about me and that I'm at the center of this whole thing, it's like it's impressed upon us uh, in American Christianity, a man-centered version of theology. And it can be hard because it strikes us as, you know, it's like... It's like a child figuring out maybe that there's some other reason that his parents love him or something. It's like, from childhood, it's all about me. My parents exist for me. This home is for me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> How I long for our church to be a Christ-centered church with Christians who worship here, understanding that our salvation is as secure as the Father is committed to the glory of the Son. And since that commitment to the unveiling of the glory of the Son is absolute, He will save us to the uttermost he will not lose one of his sheep our hope rests in god's commitment to the the father's commitment to the son that's something that will take you through cancer and the loss of a child and the loss of a job and any other trial that god would bring that is a truth That will persevere his saints. We're like a canvas on which the Father is painting a portrait of his Son. That's Romans 8. He is conforming us to the likeness of his Son. Do we have value? Absolutely, we have value. Just like a portrait of the Queen has value. But the value of the portrait of the queen is not the canvas or the paint. It is the likeness it bears. And the more glorious the person, the more valuable the portrait. And since we are the portrait of the infinitely valuable son of God, in the eyes of God, we do have value. But it is a derived value. Like the moonlight... The moon's awesome. The moon's bright. The moon's beautiful. But all of its glory is a reflected glory of the sun. So that we like the moon because we like the sun. We like the moon because we like sunlight. And you, my friend, are a moon. At best, we are moons. He is the sun. He holds all of salvation together. It is all for the praise of his glorious grace. The last category to talk about, and this is just the last one, because remember, everything's about him. But just to talk here in this message, finally, about the church and Christians. Verse 18, the very next verse, says this, he is the head of the body, the church. Talking about The focus of the church. Who does the church exist for? Is it a club for its members? Is it a place where we try desperately to keep you happy so you keep coming here? As you know, we don't try very hard at all. No, I'm kidding with that. We actually do in appropriate ways, I hope. What is the purpose of the church? The text says that the church has a head. And the head is Christ. And the sense of that is like the head on a body. It is vital. It provides leadership. It is the focus. Like the central nervous system. All these nerves in my body. They all connect to my spinal cord. Which connects to my brain. Terminates in my brain. The church is like that. And it's healthy when it understands who its brain is. That brain is Christ. We serve Him. We obey Him. We sacrifice for Him. We give glory to Him. We're like the nerves, sending that signal up to Him. And from Him we receive nourishment. We receive resource. We receive, you know, all those beautiful fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the agent of Christ's ministry to the church by the Spirit when it's healthy. Can churches lose their head? Absolutely. How do you explain churches that at one time preached a glorious gospel of Jesus and today exist for some other primary purpose? Something else quietly and subtly moved into that first place, became the head. And what happens in churches that do that? They exist for a while, but they die. Cut off a chicken's head, it'll run around for a while. But eventually, there's lots of churches running around. They look like they're alive, but there's no head. Eventually, and I don't know if I'll do that third service either. (laughs) But it's a good picture of what we don't want to happen here. Well, Pastor Steve, what are you going to do to keep that from happening? Because it'd be so easy for a church like ours to quietly become about something else. How about a weekend every year where we pound it into our brain, it's not about us, it's about Christ. Would that help? I don't know that there's a time in our church where it's been more important that we have this solid in our understanding. Here we are now existing presently, essentially, one church, four campuses, two counties. How are we going to keep this thing together? My leadership and my preaching will not do it. We got great elders here. Their shepherding and their wisdom will not do it. We have a great staff and we have a volunteer army here. Amazing volunteer army here. So thankful for each of you. They won't do it. Will not do it. Because there is only one person who holds everything together. And that is Christ. And I and we are banking everything in this church on the fact, on the hope, that if we keep Christ central... That we can be a church in various communities doing various ministries and yet unified in Him. Forgive the gambling illustration, but all the chips are on that one right there. And if that doesn't work, we're going down. We are going down. I believe if we hold Him high, He will hold us together. If we hold Him high... He will hold us together. And by the way, folks, that's not, that doesn't just work for churches. That's the formula for every single one of us. What does sin do? Sin shatters. And we see that in our fellowship here. Sin makes its way into a family, into a marriage, into somebody's life. And all of a sudden, you know, rather than planets, everything becomes comets, right? Shooting off in various directions, you know, potentially crashing, and we feel within us this kind of, like, nothing makes sense anymore. I don't, I don't know what life's all about anymore. I don't know what I believe anymore. You hear people that say these things. What's going on there? There is a search for the theory of everything. And when that everything is not Christ, psh, everything starts going all over the place. And we experience the pain from it. How painful it is for us to see families where Christ is not the center of the home. And everything is in chaos. So much pain. So much hurt. What did you think when you heard that Robin Williams committed suicide? I kind of grew up with Robin Williams. I, I mean, I go back to the Mork and Mindy days. What did you think? What did our culture stop and think for just... The briefest of moments. To think about a guy that obviously famous. To think about a guy who's made tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. And to think about it, probably in the last 30 years, I would say he might be the person who made our country laugh more than anybody. So what do we think when we see somebody that has an apparent happiness and laughter, money, success and fame, all the idols of our world, and yet takes his own life. What was Robin Williams really looking for, if not those things which he had? I would submit to you, I never met Robin Williams. He was looking for the theory of everything. And even with all those things, it didn't make sense. And the pain that that created in his heart Some of you know that pain. It was better to not live and to not have the pain. And the whole testimony of Scripture is that God, through Jesus, came into this world and entered into our pain, and entered into our sorrow, and entered into the chaos, that shattered visage of the image of God within us, in order to bring us back, to put us back together again. And my dear friend, He will do that in your life. If you will put your faith and trust in His work on the cross, believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, He will come and He will set things in order. If He can hold the galaxies together, He he, he can hold you together. Here's how He said it. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. We have Mr. Weary over here and Mrs. Heavy-Laden over here. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay? What does that mean? He puts things in order. He puts things back together. And he provides for us one overarching reality to live for and it's him and his glory he is before all things and in him all things hold together all about him 18 would you pray with me